Hello, you're listening to The Joys of Teaching Literature. My name's Scott, and we're talking about all things uh, high school English, uh, also just teaching. In today's topic really is about just teaching in general. If you want to know more about me uh, and the products I have on Teachers Pay Teachers and the courses that I offer online, they're at your own pace, uh, where you can download a lot of my resources that I use in my classroom, and I sort of walk you through the different projects that I have and the different ways that I teach different things. Uh, some of it's for beginning teachers, some of it's for veteran teachers that want to sort of dive deep into the various different challenges that we face daily. Um, you can go to my website, it's theteachersworkshop.com. All right, so today's topic is <laughs> teacher burnout. Um, I Sometimes I laugh at things that make me upset. Um, and I think I, I've been thinking about this because <clears throat> it's the end of the quarter in high school. It's always a, <clears throat> a stressful time, excuse me. And uh, you know, it's a time that that you're that you're trying to sort of wrap things up for the the quarter. Um, you know, we were just we were having a lot of conversations with, with my colleagues about like, you know, f- you know, actually, I, I was having a conversation with my neighbor uh, who came over the other day, and he was a teacher, and he was sort of venting a little and saying, you know, people ask me, you know, why didn't I let them know that their kid wasn't doing very well in my class, and. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> I have all the grades online. You can go and see how your, your child's doing at any at any point. <laughs> and so that's like just why I was just laughing because I'm like, I think I, I just had that conversation today um, <clears throat> about, you know, students who, you know, and a lot of kids students are, are turning in stuff stuff in late, which is, you know, it's good. It's always good to get to work. Some stuff, I don't have a hard, like sort of soft and hard deadlines, right? Where some stuff, you know, you're going to mark it late if it's late because it's timely and it's important that you have it on time and other stuff, it's not as important. So a lot of times that that stuff ends up coming in, you know, right at the end of the quarter because they realize like, you know, they haven't even looked at their grades online. And I'm realizing that too, that now this is, it used to be this sort of novelty, right? It was like a new thing. Oh, grades are online, you know. You can check them all the time, and it was this sort of fascinating things that that people looked at, you know, weekly at least. Um, now I don't think I think it's just like anything else that they're just online doing this and that, and they're just figure they'll keep up with the class, and they're not really thinking about the grades, or the parents aren't, you know, they're too busy themselves with their lives, where they're not really looking up at the looking at the grades because they have so many different things they have to do online. They have to pay bills. And, you know, all this answer emails and do all the different things that we're expected to do online. They just don't want to spend more screen time online, whatever. So, but, uh, but yeah, that's, you know, so you get that, you get that work that comes in late and you update it. And then sometimes you don't get that work <laughs> from certain students and you're like, oh yeah, like now it's at the end of the quarter. I, I don't have X, Y, and Z. And yeah, this is your grade. So, um, sometimes you have to have conversations with parents, right? And so that's been a part of the, you know, office discussion lately is how stressful those can be. Um, for a lot of our junior teachers, um, we have to sort of think about letters of recommendation, and that right around now is the time that those are those letters of recommendation are due. Um, <laughs> I just have to write one for a senior um, because you know sometimes seniors will sort of ask you ask your their senior teachers to to write letters of recommendation too and i I was sort of joking like thank God I don't have a lot of junior classes because it takes me about an hour uh to write a letter of recommendation so um you know it's just a lot of stressful sort of things going on so that's what we're sort of thinking about today is um how to um avoid 
teacher, you know, I guess I'm saying burnout, like I burned out, like I'm done. So, um, but this is also just how to avoid stress in general. So, um, I think actually every year that goes by, there's different tricks that I sort of have to 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 avoid those sort of stressful moments that we all experience. And uh, one one is you know, in the first quarter. We're actually just talking about this. In the first quarter, we don't always have a super strict deadline because you know the the year takes a little while to begin, and we don't have as many assignments that we might have, say, in the second quarter, or the third quarter, or fourth quarter. So in the second or third quarter, especially because the second quarter there's a semester. You know, it's like a sort of bigger, especially for seniors, because that's a, a time they have to submit their grades. So that's a little bit more strict where I have this deadline where I'm like, you know, maybe it's a week or two before the quarter ends, like when the grades are due or when the quarter ends. And like, you have to get in, you know, these five assignments or whatever it is in by this date or else I'm not taking it. And I'm very strict about it. It's like, it's a zero otherwise. Um, so they get that idea. It's like, okay, I have to you know, stop, make a note, like, complete these assignments that go on power school, figure out what grades I have missing, um, and then, then sort of make sure that they're in before this date. And I, I repeat that date over and over. I'm like, I'm telling you again, this is the deadline. I'm not accepting anything past this deadline. If you want to submit your work, you can without penalty, but after this date, I'm not accepting it. So it's something I have to repeat all the time. Um, you know, that way I can avoid you know, the individual emails to guidance counselors and parents and phone calls and all of that stuff. Hopefully, <laughs> you know, obviously there's times when the work just doesn't come in, but you know, I'm doing my best, right? But every single class at the start of class, I'm writing it on the board, you know, making it as visual as possible. Can't we have canvas? So uh, canvas is something where I'm putting due dates in there, putting reminders in there. Uh, so that's maybe showing up on their phone. Maybe not. Some kids have the notifications, some don't. Um, but you know, I think, you know, that's also the thing about this is the second quarter too, is that <laughs> you always, I always forget that I'm, you know, I'm grading all these essays, I'm entering all these grades, uh, trying to get things final. And then all of a sudden the new semester comes and usually you're, sometimes it overlaps, but for the most part, I, I end the unit at the end of the second quarter. And then I start a new one uh, at the beginning of the third quarter. Now, you know, I've, seen people sort of get away from that. I tend to still do it. I think I happened once or twice where I'm sort of in the middle of a unit and it's not a big deal because I'm just in the middle of a unit. But you, of course, you know when you have to start a new unit, there's handouts that you have to copy. You have to introduce the text. You have to hand out another text. Um, there's just sort of bookkeeping type stuff that you have to do at the beginning and the end of a unit. Um, and so that's always stressful too because, you, you know, again, as you're focusing so much on grading, you're not lesson planning as much. At the beginning of the unit, there's a lot of lesson planning. You're sort of going through the unit and reminding yourself what you need to cover and what's going to take how long or what activities and, and projects that you're going to do in that unit. And you're sort of laying, mapping it all out um, based on what you did the previous year. So um, <laughs> that's all stressful too. So, you know, my point is telling you all these stories is that year after year, you kind of learn these little tricks that, that keep to keep you on top of things, um, to so that you can avoid that stress, <laughs> um, you know, especially at the end of the school year because it's such a fun time. There's so much, there's so many different activities going on um, that you don't really want to miss, you know, you know the kind of casual, relaxing nature of the end of the year. So you want to make sure you set really, really strict early deadlines um, so that you can get all the, all the, all that work. You know, graded and completed on time so everybody knows what their grade is going into the final 
And then, of course, there's that there was a sort of little exceptions where there's medical issues or something happened at home or somebody, you know, had something happen that's you know you're going to give you're going to get an extension or you're going to get given excused. You know, you just excuse the work and don't expect it to come in at all. So there's always those individual cases that you have to look at, but um, you know, it's always important to, to keep some kind of rhythm going uh, where. Uh, things will <laughs> not drive you crazy or you're taking a bunch of work home. And that's the objective, I think. Um, and at once, I basically learned that if I, I just kind of stopped taking work home. And what I learned is that that in and of itself, like just telling yourself not to do it, like I'm not going to do this <laughs> anymore, is like the first, is the most important thing that you can do because that means that you have to absolutely get it done at work. And so if there's no option to take it home, then you're not dilly-dallying. I find myself like not dilly-dallying or having conversations when I have something that, that has to get returned, like an essay that needs to get back by a certain date or you know, whatever it might be. So um, I think that's the, you know, that's the first thing sort of I do that where I avoid burning myself out or getting too stressed or overwhelmed by different things is just like, Give, setting a goal, but then just doing it, and and okay, I'm not going to bring homework. Let's let's see what happens when I don't take anything home, and that's basically what happens: is that you force yourself into these deadlines, and unconsciously you're just figuring it out, whatever, however you decide to figure that out. And actually, yeah, I think it was like a week ago that I was trying to get through a set of essays, and for whatever reason, I really wanted to get. All I think I wanted all of my like I teach one section of juniors this year is the first time I always get like randomly tossed a section of juniors. Um, I think the last time was like seven or eight years ago. They're like, "Hey, you're going to do one section of juniors." I'm like, "Okay, that sounds cool." Um, that happened again this year, but I have, mostly have seniors, um, and I wanted to get all my essays and all my classes back on the same day, just so I could have that as my routine for the day. I'm going to do this one thing where I return all the essays and. It's kind of e easier when you're just doing a similar kind of activity with all your classes. So I was like, oh, I really want to get this done. I think it was like before a weekend. I can't remember what – there was some date coming up or something coming up. I was like, I really want to get this done. But I had a whole – I think it was like at least a whole set or maybe 20 essays, um, which is a lot. you know. Uh, and I think I had one day to do it, and I just did it. And I think I, I think I actually did it mostly in one class period because I was just like, you know what? I'm going to buckle down. I'm just going to focus. I, I have headphones where I put my headphones on and uh, just everybody kind of knows like, all right, they're doing work. You know, <laughs> they're not even listening to what's going around, going on around them. Unless you have your own classroom, that's that's kind of cool too. I think I had that one year um, in another school I taught at. But uh, either way, that, it, you know, that's why that happened because I just, I set a deadline for myself. I was like, I'm absolutely, I absolutely have to do this because I'm not taking this work home. So that's just not an option. And so I worked a lot faster and a lot harder. I didn't have my cell phone near me. I didn't have my computer near me, you know, and I just got the work done. So it's, it's developing those kinds of habits. I think that's really important um, when it comes to, especially early in teaching career, when you're just trying to figure this out, like how to not drive yourself crazy with work. Um, but there's basically three different sort of categories um, that I think you can sort of think about and reflect on um, when we're thinking about how to avoid burnout. So, um, and especially this year, because I think we're we're trying to pick up, we slowed down during the pandemic a little bit. We had a lot more flexibility with students. We 
extended our deadlines. We didn't assign as much work. We didn't maybe teach as much, many novels, for instance. Um, we scaled things back, which made life easier on us a little bit. Um, and now we're starting to pick that pace up again, and the kids are not used to it. So I think that's this is the, we're going through this kind of adjustment right now, where a lot of the kids, you know, who had really nice conditions to study at home and did well with remote learning, and uh, you know, last year was sort of a normal year. Um, we were trying to kick some habits last year too. So that we were like a transition last year. We're like, all right, so now we're back in school and we're all back here. And this is the way things, remember how things were, you know, cause we're dealing with the class that was that this, where this whole thing started really, I think their sophomore year, right? So it was, it's been a while now. Um, but now this is like, okay, well, this is our first normal year. There's no more masks. The masks are off. It's normal. <laughs> we're going to go back to normal learning, but obviously there's a lot of gaps. And so we're trying to make up for that lost time. Uh, that happened in the last couple of years. So this year is still not technically normal. We're trying to make it normal, but but it's not. Um, so I think that's what's contributing to a lot of stress right now too. Is that kids are just not used to things being. They're not. They don't even know what normal is, right? Because if they this happened when they were sophomores, like they're not even familiar with what high school life is supposed to be like. And so they're sort of trying to catch up and, and you know get some of those routines down that were that we considered normal, but they don't even remember. Um, all right, so the first sort of category is relationships. So when I say relationships, I mean uh, relationships with our students, relationships with parents, with guidance counselors, um, with our colleagues even. That's a really important. So there's really four there. Um, sort of different, like when I say counselors, I'm also kind of grouping in like administration. We always have sort of various meetings with administration, you know, whether we're getting observed or something like that. Uh, where we have to sit down with them and talk to them about different things going on in school. Um, so the basic sort of rules of, of thumb, well, first I sort of talk about colleagues. They're probably the most important relationships to have that I've had at least with, you know, I say colleagues, I mean, but really my supervisors and the people that I work with um, that teach English, right, that are in your grade level, you know, that's important too, right? So it's not just um, people that are teaching English, but it's specifically people that are teaching the same course as you. So those are people to really have to hold dear, so to speak, uh, because uh, they are teaching the same. You know, in our my school, actually, we teach a lot of different books. We're not all on the same page with what books we teach, but still, there's a lot of crossover and and the things that you do, the things that you can expect the kids to do, the the skills that you want your kids to know, the expectations that you have for grading. Hey, can you look at this essay? You know, this kid's complaining about their grade, whatever it is. Um, and so that's a place where we can sort of vent, you know, it's like really good to have somebody to vent to sometimes uh, where you just kind of like, oh, I you know, had this conversation with this student or with this teacher and it went like this. Have you ever dealt with this before? You know, that kind of thing. And I think grade level conversations like that are important because seniors are so, so different from freshmen. And so those, and sometimes I'll go to freshman teachers, like, you know, did you have this child? How did it go? You know, what did you do to sort of problem solve there? So those are good questions. And actually, I worked at one school where they had weekly kind of grade level meetings where they talked about different kids um, and how to sort of best uh, meet their needs. Um, so that's all really, really important is to have good relationships with colleagues. You know, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. Uh, and another voice can provide fresh ideas related to you know, everything, really curriculum, pedagogy. I do this assignment with this book. Um, I have this sort of project that I do here. It's really fun. The kids liked it. Or even like Night, you know, is some of the books that are really hard to teach. They're really sort of um, a lot involve a lot of suffering. Uh, you know, 
so how do we like sort of make this uplifting? How do we make it about like not hating people, right? Um, and, and make it positive. Uh, just different ideas about how to tackle particular texts or can be really valuable. Um, but at the same time, so I think it's also important to have a healthy sort of balance between having really good relationships with colleagues, but also not like socializing on end for like an hour or two at work, right? Because again, if you like are like me, you just like, I'm not bringing work home. And so you just have to basically crunch at school and you really have to learn how to sort of limit some of those relationships so that you're not sort of talking uh, about things for long periods of time and then getting off track with your work. And right, you don't, if you're having an hour or two conversation at work, that's an hour or two work that you're going to, an hour or two that you're going to bring home work, right? That you have to kind of make up for that time somehow. And like I, my family comes first. So, you know, I'm at work to work. And then so I can spend all of my time when I'm at home with my family. Um, and also, you know, when you, when I work independently, it's also about returning essays on time so that they can get it quickly after they, they wrote the essay. Uh, so that I can create really great lesson plans that are better than the lesson plans I taught the year before. So I can research different essays or articles or, or videos, listen to podcasts and sort of keep myself um, in tune with the with the current events of the world and uh, the different cultural things happening in our world. So I can sort of bring that into my teaching um, and use that as a way of explaining concepts and ideas that I, that come out of old li like literature that was from three four hundred years ago that sort of thing. So all of that is part of being a good teacher because you're you're like sort of in the world that your students are living in, dealing with the sort of issues and political things that they're dealing with, and you want to be able to have those conversations and not be out of touch. And so that's kind of <laughs> we don't think of that as lesson planning, but if, you know if you're an English teacher, that is kind of. Uh, part of being in these really good, having really good, deep conversations uh, about ideas that are in literature. Um, and then there's emails, you know, <laughs> like, God, the emails. Um, and, I, you know, I, well, I think people probably have opinions about how to respond to emails. But at my in my district, um, they actually were very clear and they had a, a training for new teachers. And they said, keep, they think this is a way of exchanging information. If somebody has a question, you answer it. Like, the fewer the words, the better. Somebody gave an example where they had a really long email where they were responding to a, a parent about their child, trying to explain their personality and the course and all this stuff. And uh, I, I think he said they, they used it against him or they highlighted different things from his own email and said, can you write a letter of recommendation from our child? And it's like, well, okay. Right. So it, it's just like not good to get involved with any kind of, I don't think, any kind of emotions in an email because they can so easily be misinterpreted or taken the wrong way. Um, I, it's very, very fact-based for me. So it's very clear what my expectations are, what my deadlines are. If I'm given an ex exception for work or, you know, if the parent says, oh, my child was sick, then it's like, okay, you know, I'm gonna, like give the, yeah, so I'm going to excuse this or I'm going to give them till this date to get this done or whatever. I'm um, just being very, very precise and very quick. <laughs> um, and then they just know that's my style. They're just like, you know, this is what they, they, once you email somebody one time, you know how they, like they have what that, like what kind of email you're going to get back from them in the future. And so you just sort of set yourself up for, for people maybe not reaching out to you um, about like, you know, you get these like really long emails. And if you, you know, it's, I don't think it's unprofessional just to have a quick response, you know, cause you're just, again, you're, Looking at a long email that's three paragraphs long, and yes, you can take that extension, <laughs> best, yeah, that and sign off, and that's it. Um, there doesn't have to be 
a lengthy because you know when I when I get into writing emails, if it is lengthy, like my revision process is to make it as short as possible. I delete like every time I write a sentence or two or three, I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to delete that, and I don't revise to make it sound better. I revise to make it shorter and to keep it more fact based. Again, maybe people <laughs> you're listening to this like, well, you know, people aren't going to take that the right way, but. I have phone, you know, phone conversations are okay. I invite, you know, uh, parents to come in, and sometimes I like them to come into guidance. So guidance is in the loop on uh, what's going on with their student as well, um, and so we can sort of, if it's maybe other classes where they need to keep on track, the guidance counselor can sort of chime in there because they might know some other information about how they're performing other classes. Uh, but for the most part, like a phone call is a lot better because I have a very conversational, like sort of. Uh, casual way of talking to people where I can explain myself a lot better. Um, and I feel like people generally want to avoid like, you know, phone calls. So that's another thing where you're saving time by not having people email you. <laughs> um, I think a lot of my mentality too is because like I keep kind of talking about, I teach seniors. Um, I think a lot of parents have a lot of questions and concerns about like it's their student adjusting or their child adjusting to high school and you want to be a little bit more kind of lengthier in your email responses perhaps. Um, but for me teaching seniors, you know, my kids are mostly all going to go off to college, not all of them, but pretty much all of them um, are going to go to college. And so, you know, it's senior year, it's really just about get, teaching them to be independent and handling their own problems because that's, there are a couple of months, in some cases, right, toward the end of senior year, they're going to be a couple months away from doing that. And they're going to be living on their own, completely independent. You know, and even if they're not going to college, maybe they get a job, get a you know, get a small apartment on their own. We want to teach them to be independent. They don't, you don't want their parents to be solving their problems when they're like 18 years old, right? So that's also why I have the approach that I have, and I can get away with that. So I understand that. So every year, I think is is sort of different. You know, a freshman freshman parent, like a, the parent of a freshman child, might think you're being rude if you have like a five word answer to an email. But my thing also is we have this great program where we talk to freshmen, um, teachers volunteer to talk to groups of like a classroom of freshmen that they don't teach. And they go, they, we talk to them about like sort of classroom etiquette and, and why certain rules are in place, how to talk to teachers, you know, organizing your work, right? All these different sort of uh, academic tech, like, like approaches to success. Um, and so we have that conversation. It's also about inspiring them to do well and getting getting meaning out of learning and like why we're here, you know, not just to like, again, get into college, but for other reasons too. Um, and so that's a great program because we can sort of talk about um, all those things that you wish your kids knew. Um, so yeah, so that's, and, and one thing I say in that session when I, because I always volunteer for that because I think it's a great program is I'll say, listen, you see your teachers every day. <laughs> like email is like, I have a cousin in Australia and I want to email them. It's not cool that I can email them instantly. Like if you see somebody on a daily basis, there's not that much need to email them, right? If you're working remotely, yeah, you email them. If somebody is like, you know, in another section of the building that you're working in. But if you can just like walk five feet to talk to the person, I don't think you need to email them, right? Um, there's always an opportunity before class or after class or finding, you know, right before your lunch period or something, right, where you can go find your teacher and talk to them as a human being because that's what, that's why we're here. We're not here to, to just exchange information. Like I'm trying to say that an email is an exchange of information. That's why you would email somebody. 
or you're just asking about, you know, updating a grade or something like that. Okay, let me look at my grade book and see if that grade's here, if I have that grade and I haven't graded it or something like that. That's understandable. And sometimes I'll, I'll tell kids, hey, email me, remind me to update that grade for you because, you know, or send that link to me. So I have just so to make sure that I have it, you know, that sort of thing. So sometimes I'll, I'll tell them to email me, but for the most part, they know to not expect a dialogue or a conversation in an email, right? That's something that they can... And I'm approachable. You know, I think that's the important thing too. To avoid email, you have to be approachable. Um, and that saves me time too, right? Because if I'm approachable, they can just ask me a question about what's going on. And then I don't have to answer 100 emails a day, right? So I actually don't get that many emails. Um, and that I'm, I don't know if that's why, but um, I think that there is a certain level of, yeah, like don't, don't email unless it's about this. And you, you know, you can also tell your students at the beginning of the year, email me if it's about X, Y, and Z, but otherwise just let's have a conversation where, you know, you'll have the opportunity to conference, you know, after when we, when I return an essay, you can always, you know, come up to my desk and ask me questions when, when I return an essay to you and you're, you know, busy, you know, the rest of the class is busy doing a task. So that's another way of avoiding email. It's just like making yourself available. Um, and the, and the less, you know, I think the more that your students are clear about your expectations and get their grade and why they got it, the less they're going to complain to their parents and then the less phone calls that you'll get from parents asking questions about grades or, you know, how they can get better or anything like that. It's, they should be clear on how they can perform in your class. Um, so that's all related to um, relationships. Um, as far as relationships with parents and counselors, or administration, my basic approach is always to just be positive. And when I mean positive, I mean talking about the future. Like, not, this is what happened, oh, can't we do this, can't we do, like, some of that obviously is going to work, that's usually what people want to talk about, <laughs> is like past performance, but I always find as many opportunities as I can to, to talk about what can be done to improve the grade in the future, to have a game plan whether it be conferencing or, um, you know, how to sort of keep you on top of reading or um, I'm going to excuse this work, but let's like make a game plan for, for these future things. And I don't want to see this happening again because the consequence is going to be X, Y, and Z, right? So it's always about what's going to happen next. Um, and that, that might mean setting some, you know, expectations as far as this, this is, going to be a zero or it's going to be a late grade or whatever that might be in the future in the future but to get into a like stuff about the past doesn't it always feels like it's an argument to me and that's sort of my approach for how to, to deal with um, parents and counselors and that it's because you're avoiding blame like I don't want to blame a child for their for what happened and I don't want to blame myself either like oh if I you know would have done x y and z I keep saying X, Y, and Z, sorry. <laughs> oh, I keep saying X, Y, and Z. I should just give you the specifics. But I mean, I guess when you're talking about kids, you don't want to give the specifics. But either way, you don't want to blame yourself for their performance. You don't want them to blame themselves for their performance. You just want to have a game plan for moving forward. All right, so grading and lesson planning. So I think this does, depending on what you teach, sort of it changes uh, from teacher to teacher. Um, for me, it's getting started on a stack of essays um, as far as avoiding stress and, you know, burnout. Um, essays are probably the main reason English teachers, we actually used to teach four sections 
at my school and I think a lot of schools and then that kind of got, you know, well, and they still have this thing where English teachers typically get one um, elective. So that kind of reduces the, you know, the amount of essays that you have to grade. But I know a lot, and I myself, I mean, I think early in my career, for the most part, I had five academic classes. Um, I don't remember having that many electives early on. So, uh, and I still know a lot of teachers that have five academic classes and have uh, as many as 125, 130 students. That's a lot of essays, right? When you think about it, and if when you think about the length, uh, our kids are writing. I got some kids that write six, seven pages. I don't know how they do it. Um, you know, sometimes they're a little shorter, two, three pages, but still, like it's it's a lot of reading. You're you're providing feedback, so having a system for that, um, it's the it's it's important, but lesson planning is way more important, right? Like getting feedback, written feedback on an essay. You know, you can do verbal feedback, you can conference, like there's different ways of giving feedback and just teaching writing, right? Because feed, feed, feedback is just another way that we teach writing. Um, so for it to take up that much of our time, you know, when again, the actual activity itself, like like the learning process itself is the activity, um, is way more important. Um, and we can also, like I said before, like reading literature, reading the news, you know, listening to podcasts, like just being an intelligent person, I think is a part of our job. And there's always ways of, you know, using an essay that we encounter um, in our teaching. And so, um, or just researching a, the, the historical context of a novel, say something like that. Um, just the more information and knowledge we have, the better. And that should be how we're spending our time, not, you know, 100% on grading essays. Um, so a um, couple of things that I do, I, I give all my handouts um, for a unit in the beginning of the unit. So I you know, think about the daily stress of, oh, what do I have to print today? And I got this, you know, you know, four or five different handouts floating around and organizing those handouts and having a place for them, you know, like, oh, I, I'm missing this handout and you got to go find the handout or oh, I'll go print it out. You know, and it's just, it's, a, it's an organizational nightmare being a teacher. It really is because you have all of these handouts. I remember early in my career just having a ton of handouts. I'm like, where, if somebody was absent from a class, where are they going to find the handout? And, you know, it, it just got sort of overwhelming. So that's kind of what I do now is at the beginning of the unit, I print everything out. I have everything ready to go. Um, so I don't have to worry about what I need to print or put online or anything like that. It's all done in the beginning. Um, and then as far as collecting the work, it makes it a lot easier too. So you don't have to be like, oh, give me this work. And half the class gives you the work. And then you're like grading stuff on an individual basis and it's taking forever, you know. Um, so, so I collect all of the work for a unit at the end of the unit when they write the essay. And the idea is that work that they have completed will help them write the essay. So um, that eliminates a lot of stress for me because I just I grade the essay, I flip through the packet, I give it one single grade. I also avoid giving zeros that way. Um, but you you know I reduce the grade. The math comes out to be the same probably. It's a little bit sort of more beneficial for the student um, to not get a zero, but still you're reducing the grade a lot if there's something missing in in the packet. Um, so. You know, so kind of it's it's kind of similar, uh, but it prevents me from having to like enter a million grades online. And and you know, the, it kind of looks crazy when you go online and see like twenty assignments as opposed to one assignment. You're saying here's the classwork for this unit. It's easy to understand what it is online as opposed to like 
the, you know, I used to give names for all my handouts and it's like, what's that handout? You know, and, and so nobody really knows what it is. It's counselors, students, like what's this, what's that this way. It's like classwork on, you know, the scarlet letter or whatever it might be. So you're like, oh, it's all the work for the scarlet letter. Like I know what that is. Where's that? And, and so it's easy to find. They don't have handouts floating out around everywhere. It's all very stressful. And think about returning it too. You just return one thing as opposed to like the time that it takes to return, you know, five, six, seven different handouts, right? So it's just like a single packet of things um, that you're collecting and returning and grading. So you're just eliminating a ton of work that way. Um, you know, every teacher has their, their, their mental way of tackling work. Um, but I prefer what I call it. I call it the chip away technique. Some people like to sit for long periods of time. I think early in my teaching career, I would sit for long periods of time, usually on the weekends or at night, um, in the, in a library, uh, sort of just tackling large things because I was spending most of my time lesson planning. Um, but now I basically, that, like what I'm describing is I'm at school, I do most of my school, my all my work at school, and I just chip away. If I can get five or six essays done in a period, um, you know, and I just keep doing that period after period, then eventually the work gets done on time. Uh, but but the, I don't know, I'm just, I've been getting away from like spending two, three, four straight hours because I just don't have the attention span uh, to do that anymore, the willingness to do that. I remember like going get like bringing like a can of Coke and a bunch of sugar to like keep myself totally focused. I think that's how I studied in college. So when I started teaching, that's just, that's what I was used to. I was studying, you know, spending three, four five hours in a library over the weekend to like get everything done and just get it all out of the way. Um, and so that's, that's the kind of work ethic that I took into when I first started teaching. And then I realized like, no, like, this is more just get this done to get this done. All right, I got a couple of essays done here. Uh, and then, oh, I got a lesson plan here. So then you switch, switch gears to kind of lesson plan, you know, that sort of thing. So that's that's grading and lesson planning, the second sort of topic. And then the third one is professional development. Um, so this, you know, I kind of mentioned this with even just talking to colleagues, I think is is the best professional development, right? It's You're talking to somebody who's teaching in the same school as you, the same books, and you're exchanging ideas about how to make it interesting for your students. That's professional development. <laughs> like nothing else is, right? Like 95% of the professional development that teachers get is not, it's not about that, which is, you know, the, the, you know, for me, it's little teaching literary techniques or the, the issues and the terminology even that we use around writing. You know, and is that terminology consistent from freshman year to to senior year? So having conversations with my colleagues about um, just reading and writing and all those different sort of challenges that we face on a daily basis. Um, you know, most teachers get really frustrated with all the time that's wasted in meetings um, that has nothing to do with ha what's happening in our classroom. Um, I've had well, over the years. I had really great professional development. Um, I remember really loving. You know, we actually went to um, a local university near where I work, and they gave us access to all their online databases. And like, if you go here, you can find this. If you go here, you can find that. So they sort of guided th us through like where we can find stuff that was related to what we, what we teach. I had a ball just because I just got to read. I was like a student again. You know, I was just reading 
different things. I, I walked out of there with a couple of essays that would that you know I planned on sort of talking about in class or different quotes. You know, you could use quotes from something that you read in class. Like, hey, what do you think about this quote? It's about this novel that we're reading or this history. I've read this thing about this history related to the, the book we're reading. What do you think about this? You know, that sort of thing. Um, but we need time to do that. That's professional development is like that's the definition of it, right? You're developing like how much better you are at teaching what you teach. And you just, we just need time, independent time to pursue um, that knowledge, right? Because the be- we're going to be better teachers if we, were, if we have, if we're, have more knowledge and more information to give to our students. I feel like I'm talking like, of course, that's what professional development is, right? It's kind of obvious um, what it is. And so, you know, we want to sort of maintain the fact that we're scholars and that we're we're really, you know, staying on top of, uh, again, current events and different things that are that are being said about um, different ideas that we teach from you know in the novels that we teach. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, in some ways, you're, I'm just saying, and we talk about this a lot. Like, oh, they're letting us work, <laughs> you know, especially at the beginning of the year when you have so many different things. And then they make you go to meetings and you're like, when do I get the time to actually work? Like, just give me time to work. That's professional development is like giving teachers time to actually like be better at what they do and to, to have that independent time to work with their colleagues, but to work independently to research and really comb through uh, all their different lesson plans and units and to really reflect on all of that. Like, that's really important, but it's, I'm laughing because we just don't, we don't ever get that time and we're just so wrapped up in the daily like okay i did this last year let me get this going and grading and all that stuff i'm just i'm describing and we don't have time to actually reflect and think big picture and to think like what kind of fun activity that can i do for my students that they would really enjoy what is what are other people in my building doing um and that's that's where i'm gonna kind of give myself a plug because that's how this is why i i'm recording this podcast right now because I am a teacher and I like listening to to other teachers stories about teaching and that's why I'm that's kind of why I'm here um, and so I think that avoiding burnout is it's it's the one most one of the most important things we can do is just to have good conversations about how to avoid burnout right like how to better like to work smarter not harder uh, how to save time all those things that we you know, that we've learned over the years, you know, we can learn also by having conversations with the people who are doing what we're doing. And and that's me because I'm teaching. I'm, I am a teacher now and I can share that information with you and it will give you ideas for what you can do in your classroom. And I think professional development is not about like, you have to do this. Um, this is the best way. And this is, you know, this is because we get this a lot, right? Oh, this is what the research says. I'm like, oh, like I'm so scared now that the research is commanding me to teach a certain way like no that's not how that's not how it works common sense will always rule my classroom um and and sometimes what i do goes along with research um but sometimes you just know what the best thing is for your kids in your school and the reason that you teach because you've seen it happen yourself and you've tried different things and what you do works so why would you not go with that if you know for a fact that you've seen results from what you do we're researching all the time (laughs) when you are teaching i'm actually gathering data from my students uh who are suggesting different things to me they're they're not it's not even data they're just they're i have my students just tell me in in writing 
what works for them and what doesn't. And sometimes it's a number or some some you know something I can get a percentage out of. But like I don't know what to do with a percentage. All right, sixty percent, forty percent, eighty percent, five percent. Like like okay, so. What do I do with that? Do I do I make a change because it's eighty percent, or do I make a change because it's five percent? I mean, five percent is not zero percent, right? So whatever you're trying to measure, numbers like they don't they don't always tell you what you need to do, right? Um, and so, but you as a human being know what you need to do, uh, and so again, that's you know. Um, that's why I have my online course because in my online course, you know, I have a it's a it's a screen recording of me talking. Uh, I can t- I, I tell you stories. I, I sh- in the screen recording, I show you my handouts that I go over in class. Uh, you can download those. So it's not even like you know just listening and taking notes, right? It's oh he's he has that rubric. This is why he does that rubric, or he's talking about this project. Okay, let me down. So you can download my projects in my course. Um, and then go use those projects in your class. So it's not even like, oh, that's a good idea for a project. Let me take notes on that, and maybe I'll do I'll create my own project. You can actually have the projects that I give my students available for you to use in your class with your students, and just you can like edit the word documents or whatever they are that I'm giving you, or that's to you know it might be a PowerPoint on literary techniques, or it might be like, all right, we're doing like you know on short fiction or video essays, you know, or project-based learning, whatever it is that I do with my students, or, hey, let's write a podcast, and then I'll show you, like, hey, I have this podcast assignment that I did with this book, The Namesake, um, and then you can download that assignment and kind of tweak it for the book that you're you're doing. So that's, that's professional development, right? And we know, again, we do this um, in our uh, off, you know, in the office, right? Hey, can you, like, how many times do you say, hey, can I get that handout and sort of helping each other out by giving each other ideas about what to do or just in some cases you know I have to sort of share files with teachers right give me a USB drive and just share this file and you can just get access to their or some people have binders and like oh let me maybe make you a copy of this one thing I did with uh, Thoreau or Emerson you know something like that and I'm always like hey what do you do with Gatsby again you know um, and so we're always sort of asking each other try, trying to get help makes life less stressful <laughs> right where you're surrounded by people who are doing what you're doing the main way that you do that is by tapping into the the wisdom of the people that surround you so in my case I'm doing an online course you don't have to travel to to another state or get on a plane or um, even go half an hour down the road uh, you know to get the training you just go online you can do it at your own pace uh, you know I, I basically organize you know you could take a long time to complete my course but um, really you can take however much time you want. So if you want to do a couple hours, like I give you, I give a certificate that just says the number of hours you completed. So if you want to do the equivalent of like one work day where you're like, I'm going to work for six or seven hours, um, then you can get a certificate for six or seven hours. So you can just kind of determine like how much learning or time that you want to devote. Um, and I think I have, I kind of combined three courses into one. I think I have as many as 27 hours total. Um, so you can just kind of pick and choose whatever topics are of interest to you, um, whether it be maybe giving feedback on essays or, and I have a course actually for all teachers too. So you can like look at that and be like, hmm, maybe I'll take this like, you know, about classroom management or how to, you know, be more efficient with time or manage relationships outside the, outside the classroom and all the stuff I'm talking about today. I have different uh, sort of 
you know, lectures in my courses that I, where I focus on all these different things uh, that you can learn about. So <laughs> that's my final kind of solution to teacher burnout is, you know, and, and maybe it's not me, maybe it's, you know, you just kind of plug in, you know, professional development for whatever field or grade that you're in and you find, I'm sure you're going to find teachers who are doing what I'm doing, uh, getting, <laughs> getting a good side hustle going where, you know, they're sort of putting, you know, their knowledge and what they do and, and all of those things that they do hopefully will give you ideas for, for how you can make fun, um, make your classroom more fun and, and your learning more meaningful and save time doing different things. So that's my sort of final piece of advice is to get some good, solid professional development that doesn't make you yawn and want to bring a coffee. Right? I always have a cup of coffee for any meeting that I have to go to because I know I might fall asleep. So get something that's not going to do that, that's going to get you excited about, about teaching and get you excited about um, the different projects and project-based learning and, and the different technologies that are available. You know, I have a whole section on technology. Um, I updated that when the pandemic hit because everybody was online. Um, so that's my final word there. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, please, please, please give me a review wherever you get your podcast. I'd really, really appreciate it.